legislative session begins Wednesday and will last until the beginning of April. There are already some bills pre-filed, but many more will be coming as senators and delegates, including from the Frederick County delegation, introduce more bills. Okay, so I'm here with Steve Bonell, who's going to be our state house reporter slash county government reporter, as well as city editor, Alan Etzler. And we're going to do a little bit different today. Um, we're going to actually do a preview of what we might expect in the general session. Um, so I guess, Steve, do you want to ta- start us off? What do you think might be coming up? Yeah, one uh, area I'm going to re- be really looking at is school construction. Um, Jan Garr, our county executive, actually sat on the work group that looked at these issues over the past year or so. And it's going to be really interesting to see how whatever legislation comes out of that work group uh, in Annapolis kind of impacts us locally because we definitely have a lot of issues related to school construction um, in the county, some of which aren't even people think of building new schools, for instance. It's not all that. Some of it's just, you know, maintenance backlogs and making sure no heaters and boilers, as simple as it sounds, are running efficiently. Uh, So that's going to be a big piece, I think, of the session coming up. And when you talk about school construction, are we talking about the money needed for school construction or actual policy that might regulate how schools look or what schools need in them? I imagine both. So um, obviously school construction projects are on the capital side of the county budget. So we're going to have to look at that. But then also policy in terms of how you look at you know, maintenance backlogs, how to look at those. Uh, So it it definitely is both pieces. And anyone from our uh, delegation that is going to be particularly interested in school construction? Uh, Carol Krim is usually pretty interested in these issues, but I'm sure that, you know, education is a big issue, as you know, so all eight of our members will be looking at it closely moving forward. All right, so school construction, what else? Say, um... Any ag issues that come up? I mean, we have 180,000-ish acres of agricultural land in this county, so anything that comes up related to that is definitely going to be eyed by, you know, our delegates and senators. So, All right. Well, agriculture is a pretty big deal for the county, so anything that you expect will be coming out of this? Uh, there's a couple bills, but it's tough to say. Uh, they're mostly specific about cover crops and whatnot, so... The interesting thing that's going to be is how, you know, if there's any legislation put forward in terms of ag preservation, because that's obviously something a lot of local farmers are interested in, and we have a lot of programs that farmers use. So anything related to that that might pop up is definitely something our delegation is going to keep a close eye on, and other county officials, obviously. And before we continue, we should mention that a lot of the bills haven't been filed yet. There's just a couple that have been pre-filed, so those are ones that you're basically looking at right now right right a lot of them and i just talked to karen lewis young today and the main reason she said she mostly doesn't pre-file bills is because you have to amend them to get co-sponsors uh which is a big big part of it um so a lot it, it depends it's all strategy you know and uh we'll see you know what bills obviously pop up in the first couple of weeks all right so what else do you think might be coming up Mental health, right, going right back off of Karen Lewis Young, mental health and just health care in general. Um, definitely bills related to the opioid crisis because locally we're losing about a person a week to that. Um, that's a very broad, you know, mental health and health care is a very broad section of policy, but I think we can definitely see some bills related to that as well. All right. And um, how about the right to die bill? I know that got 
pretty close last year, but then ended up dying. Yeah, I actually just talked to again Karen Lewis Young about that. She's definitely optimistic about that. It's definitely going to come up uh, this session, and she thinks it has a good chance of passing. I mean, we all have to wait and see, but uh, it's definitely something that she's going to be interested in co-sponsoring. She just told me earlier today. So, well, that'll be definitely something that you follow or, right. or I follow that um, we'll be continuing to report on because it will greatly change the state a right. little bit um what else so definitely criminal law is always interesting in terms of how that comes up during the session um senator michael hopp and delegate jesse pippi sat on this criminal gang task force that's more of a statewide look at how we deal with that section of the statute um and huff chaired that so it's gonna be interesting to see what legislation comes out of that this session and he's told me that they that's the goal. They're trying to get a bill passed because they met like half a dozen or so times as a group. So, well, that, I mean, crime in general is pretty diff- uh, interesting. Usually, um, there's always something. Whether it's um, talking about firearms, I think there's something about the definition of a regulated firearm that's been pre-filed. Right. A definition of a crime of violence, which is always interesting that they right. have to go back. Um, and it's something I think maybe to do with life-threatening injury and a uh, motor vehicle crash, which will be interesting to follow. And then Senator Young also has a bill in pre-filed for uh, assault weapons buyback program in the coming years. He's proposed that. So this is an interesting, specific bill that's been filed, and I'll definitely be keeping an eye on. And Alan, I know that you're not our reporter uh, that's covering the state, but you did mention um, earlier that there's something coming for possibly background checks for hunters. Yeah, so one of the fr- uh, pre-filed bills, and I can't remember who filed it, sorry, uh, but um, is a uh, requirement to get background checks for hunting rifles and, and shotguns. And so um, that's something that the general public for a long time has, has supported is background checks on any firearm. Um, as I think probably most people know, uh, handguns are regulated, so you have to pass a background check in Maryland for, to get a handgun. You can't buy uh, an, an assault rifle, assault-style rifle. Um in Maryland, uh, but currently um, there is a a loophole where people do not have to do a background check for uh, shotguns and rifles. Now, a, a lot of uh, buyers, from folks that I've talked to, a lot of buyers or a lot of uh, sellers will do a background check, but they're not required to. And so this would would require all sellers of uh, hunting rifles and shotguns to uh, to do a background check. Um, it's something that's widely supported by the general public, but Republicans have been unwilling a lot of times to, to compromise or to, to kind of back down on, on things like that because they think you give an inch, you lose a mile. All right. And how about in Frederick County? Were there any big incidents that happened this year that you think might translate into a bill? I know that when I was covering the Ernesto Torres case, Charlie Smith, who's our state's attorney, um, mentioned that he thinks that there will be some kind of technical um, law change that will prevent the merger of um, crimes that resulted in the one-year sentence for um, Dr. Tor- or former Dr. Torres. Um, is there anything else that you think will translate into a bill? Steve, you want to start? No, yeah. The I mean, one of the biggest stories of last year uh, for us locally, the Great Frederick Fair Assault, uh, Delegate Cox very quickly introduced a proposed bill kind of adding uh, language to the hate crime statute in the state and including kind of the ejecting or smearing of bodily fluid. That's kind of a very rough paraphrase of the language he was adding. Uh, 
just kind of broadening the scope of what a hate crime is. Now, I, uh, I've talked to him since then, since it was originally introduced, and that's still being updated, that, and it's mostly going to be changed before he even, uh, I guess, introduces it during session. Uh, but that's definitely something locally that, again, I'm going to be keeping an eye on since it's pretty, I don't want to say drastic change, but it's, it's going to be an interesting kind of cycle or kind of life of that bill as it progresses. I think as we've seen political discourse kind of uh, devolve as we have, we're going to see a lot more of these kind of um, hate crime bills and things that come up. And there's actually already been one pre-filed. This kind of is much less um, abstract as as, uh, Delegate Cox's, but it it makes uh, the use of swastikas and, and nooses as kind of symbol or imagery to intimidate somebody. It makes that a hate crime. Um, so we're going to, I think, continue to see people um, trying to make uh, society a little bit a little bit nicer to people um, because we haven't been really uh, yeah, I did more see, tolerant. Yeah. I did see that pre-file bill. And it's, you know, one of the things that we hardly talk about when we were doing this session is just kind of how interesting the legislation can be. Because um, you would almost think that something like the swastika with it, all of its history would already be in our books. Um, and I've been digging into some other laws, and you're surprised by how many laws are still on our books that have been amended so that they mm-hmm. no longer count, but they're still a law. Yeah. No, yeah, definitely. It's it's interesting. I, the thing about Cox's proposal is that um, you said it's very abstract, but it also at the same time is very specific in a way that, like, spitting on someone uh, in the right circumstance is – a hate crime and that's what i remember questioning right away like this is really specific i mean do you think that this is a chance of passing given he's like well given you know the video that everyone has seen of what happened that caused this to be introduced i think that with enough tweaking that people will see that this needs to be included um as a hate crime so we'll see where that goes um it's definitely an interesting uh bill that is going to be introduced so and another interesting bill that really doesn't affect the gen- general public too much, but will affect the Frederick News Post a lot, is that they're looking at a Public Information Act uh, change to make the response times quicker, which, if that passes, would be interesting to see what more we can report on. Right. The other benefit is this is going, and this is something that passed last year, but they're streaming sessions now, um, which is a great benefit for folks like us and people out west. Um, you don't have to necessarily travel to Annapolis as frequently to, to have access to what's happening. Um, which I think was an important step by the legislature in kind of being more open and transparent. It's funny, too, because, I mean, I cover the county council and all of their meetings and much more is televised. And right. I'll put it on the Internet. And it's the bigger, you know, government, you know, levels that we don't have that accessibility, which I find funny in a way. But uh, Talon's point, it's it's much needed, in my opinion. So. Well, speaking of covering the session, Ellen, do you want to break down a little bit about how we're going to cover it before I ask you some more fun questions about what predictions? Sure. Um, so I don't think uh, if you followed our coverage for the past, well, I've only been here for three years, so I'll say for the last three years, I don't think it'll be too much of a, a, a alternate or a differentiation from what we've what we've gone or what we've done in the past. Um, we're going to continue to make sure that we follow the bills that we write about. Um, we're going to follow them from the time that they're introduced to uh, pass on third reader or they die. Uh, and so we'll, we'll round those up and make sure uh, people know at all times where, where bills are standing. Um, we're going to uh, especially, um, I cannot harp on this enough. We are a local newspaper. 
there's a lot of people out there who provide um, statewide coverage. Uh, we are uh, dedicated to making sure that we provide uh, coverage of these issues and how they are going to affect our readers in our backyard. Um, so that's going to be first and foremost what, what, how we try to attack every story. And so um, this year that might mean maybe Steve's not down there as, as much in the session and maybe he's here talking to the people on the home front in Frederick about what they think and how they're going to be affected by the bill. Um, and then going down there uh, in, you know, a couple days a week and, and talking to the legislators about uh, how they feel where things are standing. Um, and the other thing I want to, I always kind of, I'm a very issue-centric uh, editor and, and reader, and I think most of our readers are very in- issue-centric. And so I, I think um, the politics of things, the gamesmanship, is is not something that we're going to have as much of a priority on. Um and so those are going to be the the big kind of philosophical ideas about how we about how we cover things. Um, in terms of access to uh, content, well, um, Steve is going to be writing very frequently. Uh, Steve's byline will be probably the most the the most read byline on state stories this year. Uh, but we also have a load of good reporters here, um, and they will also, if there is a story on their beat or a story or uh, a bill that they're particularly interested in, uh, they'll also be writing those stories. Um, and then we're going to do uh, the weekly podcast in session at fnppolitics.com. I'm looking for Graham to make sure I've got that correct. All right. Terrific. And um, so we'll do that weekly, and it'll be a roundup of what's going on, what people have said, uh, and, and where, where things might go uh, the next week. So it's kind of a review of the week that just happened and a preview of the week ahead yeah i just want to emphasize that uh frederick and cut is going to continue to be it's normal taking a news story of the week talking to katrina about food um we might talk about the session if something is rises to the point i think last year we talked about like the Chicago laws because that was such a big story um but if you're looking for you know the weekly recap of what's happening down in annapolis you're going to want to check in session uh, do not come to frederick and cut uh, come to us anyway for the news story just don't come for us for the politics um all right so what about predictions or is there any interesting bills that you are surprised by predictions things that people might want to know about the session that we should talk about. I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but I, I really think um, Cox's bill on, you know, expanding what is a hate crime and spitting and whatnot, um, that just, just because it was attached to such a regional news story, not just locally, but the regional news sources came out here. And then to have such a, a crack at, you know, changing the state code in that regard, uh, was really interesting to me, at least. And I think that tracking that through this session uh, is going to be important. Um, so we'll see. I mean, that's the thing that comes to mind right away, I guess. Um, I'll probably watch two big things that haven't really necessarily been on the radar. Maybe they don't come up. Maybe they aren't big issues this year. Uh, in fact, I would hope one one might not be a big issue this year. Um uh, so I'll start with that one. Governor Hogan, in his uh, criticisms in the past of the Kerwin Commission uh, recommendations in specific, has said, well, we don't know how we're going to pay for it. They've never come up with a way to pay for it. Well, one idea to pay for it is a, is a state income tax increase. Um, and so I would not be 100% surprised if that's put forward this year. I don't, I, I, I'm probably leaning like 30, 70 that it doesn't uh, get put forward. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if people start kind of throwing that idea around because there's... Um, there's a looming deficit that people, uh, especially conservatives in the state legislature, have been concerned about. And so uh, how do we 
how do we um, pass Kerwin, fund Kerwin, and then also uh, not raise taxes or raise taxes? How do we how do we do that? Is going to be um, a big a big issue down there. Um, and then the other one that I'm particularly interested in, uh, maybe I guess as a bit of a degenerate, is gambling. Um, I think sports gambling is going to be a major major uh, boon for many economies. It's going to be uh, very popular nationwide, and I think Maryland's got a chance to be kind of on the forefront of it if somebody is aggressive enough to, to put forward a bill to, to kind of take some extra steps in that direction. Right, I'm going to toss out my own predictions as a healthcare reporter. I think we're going to see what's happening on the national stage right now kind of play into our healthcare already. There's been a lot of bills pre-filed about healthcare. I'm not going to get into them. They're very technical, but would not be surprised if we see something to do with, you know, more Medicaid for all or Medicare for all kind of uh, situations. Always interesting to see what's been added to Medicaid. If it's added to one of our public health insurances, that's how you get private insurances to cover it. So I'm expecting some interesting things there. Also, um, already there's a pre-filed bill on contraceptives limiting um, those who are minors, making them have to get parental permission so I would not be surprised if you start seeing more regulating of contraceptives or any of those types of um, bills that usually come from Republicans. And that bill, and you haven't reported this out yet, so maybe you don't, maybe you know, maybe you don't know. That bill is only one specific contraceptive. It's um, IUDs and the implantable rod. Um, okay. So so not the pill. Not the pill, but still pretty interesting because there's been a rise in. Um, OBGYN and gynecology to have the rod or have the IUDs just because they're sometimes considered easier. You don't have to take a medication every day. Um, but it does kind of go against, um, right now doctors are allowed to talk to patients about contraceptives um, if they're 16, um, but mm-hmm. this would kind of interrupt that. So it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, I'll be interested in the reasoning in the reasoning why if it has to do with because uh, one of them is inside your body versus the other one is kind of a, a outwardly taken pill. Yeah, I'm but it, curious about that's that. one other thing that's playing in from the national stage now into our local um, state politics. But before we go, let's talk about new leadership because we do have some big changes in our leadership um, from last session. So how is that going to affect this year? I think it remains to be seen. Um, obviously, you know, leading uh, a state of 6 million people and a very big general assembly uh, is, is a gargantuan task. I think it's going to be touch and go for the first, you know, first week or two. I know uh, Jones, the House Speaker, you know, her, she made, you know, the first bill on school construction. That's House Bill Zero or One or whatnot. So that's definitely going to take immediate precedence over everything else because, you know, they've been working on this for months. Uh, but I think, you know, obviously any time you have prior leaders who have been in that position for years and years and years, Obviously, when you have someone new step in to kind of lead a huge group of lawmakers, I mean, we're going to definitely see, uh, frankly, mistakes made, but also just a new leadership style. So we'll have to see, and I'll definitely be tracking how that impacts our local news here. So, I'll say one of the things um, I've I've been impressed with uh, Speaker Adrian Jones um, so far in that she's she's led with a very steady hand. Um, and she's already had to deal with quite a bit of controversy with a couple delegates, you know, being being indicted on some charges and, and pleading guilty and things like that. So um, she's already shown a proven ability to, I think, kind of lead the legislature. She did it for a portion of last year. 
Um, and I, I think her and Senator Bill Ferguson kind of have, uh, as, as Ferguson's kind of young, I think when we think of young Democrats now, they, we think of them as very progressive. Um, and I'm not sure that a lot of people have that thought process about Senator Ferguson um, yet. Maybe that could change. I'm not sure. But I think they um, they both have kind of a reputation of being sort of a little bit more moderate. And I think that won't be a, too much of a departure from uh, under the leadership of uh, Mike Miller and Mike Bush. Well, and I just want to say for um, Senator Ferguson, he was in Brunswick not that long ago. Um, so that might be a good thing for Brunswick. I think uh, Senator Hoff seems to think that that visit might result in some more money for that city. So anything else we should know? I just want to, Alan made a really good point earlier about how we cover the session. Um, me personally, I am, like Alan said, interested in policy and not so much as gamesmanship to steal another one of Alan's words. I think I'm going to be tracking that aspect of things because it can be easy to kind of get trapped in the politics of Annapolis. And I think it's important for our readers to, like Alan said again, focus on the issues and how they're going to impact uh, the day-to-day lives of people living in Frederick County. All right. Well, so you can, the session starts um, in a couple days and then next week you can tune into In Session um, for your, all your political uh, Annapolis news. Um, before you go, Alan, just as our usual, um, anything else that we should know about for this week? All right. So uh, obviously we're going to have uh, a lot of uh, session-focused coverage uh, this week. But back on the home front in county government, Steve's working on a story uh, actually for tomorrow about um, an emergency resolution uh, in regards to, to climate change that's going to be put forward by uh, Councilman Kai Hagan and uh, Councilwoman Jessica Fitzwater. Um and it's uh, emergency le- res- resolution typically means, and I'll defer to you if, on this if I'm incorrect, it typically just means that uh, as soon as the bill is passed, it becomes law. So there's no 60-day waiting period. And I don't know if there's something different I have with to check. Bill. I think that it's definitely different legislation in that regard, but it also, uh, I'm not quite sure it has the teeth of a bill. Right. Luckily, that's that's the knock against the resolution for right. the most part. Yeah, and so that was kind of going to be what I was what I was <laughs> looking forward to is the debate that comes and follows because will this resolution actually impact anything? Will it actually do anything, or is it more of a symbolic gesture of we care about the climate? Um, and so, uh, Kai Councilman Hagen has uh, kind of come under fire a little bit with his uh, balloon ban bill, uh, which a lot of people say is kind of unenforceable and things like that. Um, but it does serve as a as a uh, point being made that the Frederick County government cares about the environment and wants to enact change and wants to make sure that the climate is put for is put first. Um, so the people on the other side of the aisle typically uh, don't really see the need for it. They you know they have taken to making fun of uh, Councilman Hagen as we we yes. read in uh, the news post a couple of days ago. Um, but it's it's something he's passionate about, and I think that's uh, going to be an important resolution to follow and see what it actually what actually comes of it. The other one um, is a story from Erica Riley that she's working on. Uh, she's our business reporter here uh, about R. R. Donnelly, a firm in uh, Thermont, and uh, they've tried to expand and add. Uh, I think they have 250 job openings when I saw the story. Um, and they can't get anybody to fill them. And I think that is an issue that's been happening in Frederick County's uh, economic development uh, realm for the last five years is, is we've got these jobs. They're pretty good paying jobs for the most part. You know, they're above minimum wage a lot of times. Uh, but people still can't get employees to fill it. You know, we have a pretty pretty massive labor shortage. It's kind of one of the uh, downfalls or downsides of having a, 
a strong economy with like a 3.8 unemployment rate. Um, but they are, are trying to find ways that they can, can fill this, this void and, and get these people, uh, and, and hire people. And I think it's an interesting look into, uh, the way that we hire now. Um, because I, I think a lot of these kind of small business companies don't always, uh, use, um, 21st century methods of, of finding employees. You know, they, they you won't see a lot of these companies advertise on online. Uh, so it's, it's interesting in how these, uh, how these companies try to attract employees, how they try to keep employees and, and where they're looking for them. All right. Perfect. Well, as always, you can read all of our coverage at fredericknewspost.com. Uh, thank you both so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Before we go, food reporter Katrina Pereira joins me in the studio to talk about her latest review at a local Italian place in downtown Frederick. Okay, Katrina, so where did you go to eat this week? So this week I went to Nido's Little Italy restaurant in downtown Frederick. All right, well, we already know that you have a pretty <laughs> good history with Italian. So with that in mind, how yes. was it? So I kind of did my review a little differently this week. Um I mentioned several times in the article that I do have a high standard for Italian food. But the way that I framed it was that there is a place for Italian-American cuisine in the world. Um, and I don't necessarily look down on it all the time. You know, I'm, I mean, places like Olive Garden, yeah, maybe. But, you know, a good chicken parm is a good chicken parm. And I like a good chicken parm, you know. Um, so I appreciate good italian american cuisine and nito's has the space to do that and looking over their menu i was really excited because i was like this looks like one of those old school neighborhood italian um places that you know people flock to with their families and that they have good memories about so when i went in i was excited so i want everybody to know that off the bat that i do not hate all italian american food (laughs) You just have a high standard, which is good. As an Italian-American, like, yes, <laughs> I want to have good Italian food. That kind of reminds me of my dad's cooking. Exactly. Like, so, all right. So, you go in with this kind of yes. open mind. Very open mind. <laughs> with a little asterisk of high standards. <laughs> yes. And what did you think? So, I felt like it was either a hit or miss uh, throughout all my visits. Um, there were some dishes that were great. Their shrimp scampi, amazing. Their chicken parm, amazing. Eggplant parm, amazing. But then there were others that I really felt could use some improvement. Um, Their spaghetti and meatballs was not that great. Um, They have this interesting item called tortellini tre salse, which is cheese tortellini in a sauce that is a mixture of marinara, alfredo, and pesto. And when I first read that, I was like, this is an abomination. (laughs) Why would you ever mix these three sauces together? But again, I was going in with an open mind, so I decided to try it. And it just didn't live up to the hype. Um, Our waiter had recommended it, and I just was a little disappointed. Well, that's an interesting thing, because... I can see like a spaghetti sauce mixed with Alfredo. You that creamy right. sauce. Yeah, like you, you get s- like a like a rose. Yeah, kind which of I deal. personally love. I think that's like a great thing, especially mm-hmm. with like a gnocchi or a nice like heavy um, pasta. Yeah, like or, a tomato cream sauce, or even an Alfredo getting. with um, pesto, creamy pesto sauce, also very delicious. Right, it's just the 
combination of the three and even the marinara with the pesto because marinara you have so much more right. onion in it than you would expect when you get like exactly. a marinara that's exactly. a very so it's three very strong sauces put together and what i found was when i ate it I felt like they were so strong on their own. And when they're combined, they kind of cancel each other out. So I felt like I was eating the blandest cream sauce in the world because I think your palate just doesn't know where to go yeah. with these flavors. Yeah. That's what, I have to ask, what color is it? Because marinara is red and exactly. So that green. was the other thing. It looked like a little bit of a murky swamp. Not yeah. going to lie. It wasn't the most pretty. And... When I ate it, I kind of just felt like I was eating cheese tortellini plain with like this weird milky sauce on it. So, all right. So maybe the, that's a popular item, but maybe one to avoid. Yes. Um, but let's go back to, so you mentioned the spaghetti and meatballs, which I mm-hmm. have to admit, like, here's my asterisk that I am extremely <laughs> picky. Um, I, my last name's been Giulio. <laughs> right. It comes with a long history of Italians uh, and my dad makes a family recipe that I can never give out on this podcast. Um, <laughs> so I never order spaghetti and meatballs at a restaurant, but I hear that's a pretty good way to like test a good Italian. Exactly. So what about this? Left and you so more? that's what I went in with because spaghetti and meatballs is such a, is such a perfect Italian American dish, right? I mean, you go to Italy, you can't find spaghetti and meatballs. I mean, it is literally only served here. And so I have the same expectation. If you're going to put spaghetti and meatballs on your menu, it better be the best mm-hmm. spaghetti and meatballs that you can come up with. Like that marinara sauce recipe better have been passed down from your grandmother, you know. Um, so I tried it. And again, I was just disappointed. The marinara was very watery. Um, I like my marinara personally a little bit on the thicker side you know where it really like clings to the strands of spaghetti this one didn't do that the meatballs were a little mushy um you know there wasn't really a lot of flavor so i just felt like it was mediocre yeah that's kind of disappointing i mean again with my background of my dad's sauce i mean we do more of a ragu kind of style with Mm -hmm. our spaghetti using pork but yeah you want that like thick added with paste in there don't put the water in a can because you will water down your sauce and I find that that is, you know, a big sign of um, Italian food is the meatball. Like, oh, absolutely. A mushy meatball. And I'm not just saying like little places or like, you know, mom and pop places, which usually are much better, but like Olive Garden or <laughs> any of your change, like those meatballs, they're, they're the mushy meatballs that just is yeah. not right. <laughs> kind of seems like they were microwaved a little bit. I hate that. Yeah. Um, like when, when I slice into a meatball, I want to be able to see and like taste the ground meat in there. And I just wasn't able to do that here, unfortunately. All right. So avoid the three sauces combination. Yeah. Avoid the spaghetti and meatball. But you did say that there were some good ones. So I first have to ask about eggplant parmesan because I am also a little biased. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I don't like my eggplant parmesan as, as a typical eggplant parmesan. I like it where it's like the lice thin eggplant, little breading, a little bit more of that Italian style I might get overseas. So mm-hmm. what is their eggplant parmesan like here? So the thing that going off what you said that I liked about their eggplant parm was that it was lightly breaded. I mean, it was more kind of like fried, like in a pan than anything else, which I really liked because it gave that eggplant that really like crispy outside texture that you want. And then it was just like coated beautifully in like really nice amount of marinara and mozzarella. 
Well, that's good because I find it is so hard to find a good eggplant parmesan in the States. Now, I haven't tried every Italian restaurant, <laughs> but I do order it a lot because I really love eggplant parmesan. It was like the one meal I got in Italy right. across the board because it was so good. Um, so I'm glad to hear there is a place. And you also mentioned the par- chicken parmesan and the shrimp scampi were good. Yes. The chicken parmesan was, you know, very similar to the eggplant, like really nicely breaded, crispy, everything that you kind of want from a chicken parm. And um, the shrimp scampi was was very good. Um, light, fresh, you know, that kind of like zest from that white wine sauce that you want and really nice grilled shrimp on top. All right. So, so we talked about the food. How about the prices? Prices are, I would say, your typical, you know, Italian restaurant. Entrees range anywhere from $10 to $20. And, you know, and that's pretty much it. So that's not too bad because you can get some very pricey Italian food. Yes, you can. This is a definitely like, you know, an av- like your typical average Italian place. All right, perfect. Well, would you go back again? I think I would if I was downtown and I was really craving Italian food and Nito's was the closest. But I think that there are definitely better Italian options in Frederick. All right, perfect. Well, is there anything else we should know? No, I think that's it. Perfect. Well, Katrina, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. To hear more about Katrina's reviews, visit fredericknewspost.com. Frederick Uncut is produced by me, Heather Mangilio, and edited by Graham Cullen. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.